Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 104 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Greg Karam and Steve Sippa. Gentlemen, it came out this week, or was revealed, that Viggo Mortensen is a Mets fan. Perhaps you out there knew that. I did not. I did not either. If you could pick any person to reveal that he is a secret Mets fan, that would no longer be a secret Mets fan, who would you pick? You know, I have... Uh, I, I, actually, the Mets already have a really good roster of celebrity fans. You know? Jerry Seinfeld's gone down in my book, though. Eh, a little bit. This week. But... The whole Bob Ojeda thing is just weird. I'm a big Chris Rock fan, so that that's pretty good. And I, I, I secretly hope that Louis C.K. is also a Mets fan because I like him Yes, as we've well. gone over this on the show. Yes, we have. Um, 
I'm also a big Matthew McConaughey fan, so if he if he turned out to be a Mets fan, that'd be awesome. I thought he's an Astros fan. Wasn't he in the yeah. Astros with the whole fanny pack thing last year? Right, but this is you know my hypothetical. Okay, your hypothetical. Fair enough. Dream of dreams. <laughs> I need to dream bigger. Than Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Steve, like who would though. you pick? Uh, since it's topical and the irony would be delicious, I'm gonna go with Derek Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it's, I mean, I, I doubt it. It's funny, though. You see it like, uh, I'm going to get my soccer plug in early here within the first two minutes. Uh, I mean, you'll see weird stuff like that. Like uh, Steven Gerrard, I believe, you know, famous Liverpool player. I think he actually grew up an Everton fan, who's sort of their, their Merseyside rivals out there. So you'll, you'll see things like that. Uh, David Hurst, one of the more famous players in Sheffield Wednesday history, grew up in Barnsley, played for Barnsley, I assume was a Barnsley fan. Famously said he would never go to Wednesday, and now is like a beloved figure uh, among the Wednesdayites. So I, I, it'd be funny if Derek Jeter turned out to be a, a secret Mets fan. You just want him to buy the team, though. Uh, not particularly, not necessarily, but like I said, the irony was just, you know, it would just be too beautiful to pass up. Um, I, uh, a few years ago, God, I've been doing this too long. On the podcast, I know I, I, I speculated about whether Yola Tango were Mets fans or not. Cause they did that version of uh, Meet the Mets on one of their WFMU fundraiser appearances. And I got an email correcting me that, yes, in fact, not only are they Mets fans, their their band name comes from a, uh, a Mets reference. And I was thinking we're about due for a, a Meet the Mets update. Of course, there's the original... There's the 80s version, which I don't think anyone actually likes, but we sort of tolerate because it's still Meet the Mets. But I think we're due for like a an updated go get them kind of, you know, modern Meet the Mets. You know, same lyrics, probably the original lyrics. I know the 80s lyrics are slightly different um, and reference Shay specifically. But I would, I would, I we need like a, a Mets fan band to do this obviously if you're going to the amazing avenue comments you're familiar with the mets band the uh, gift that shows up after the mets win uh, in the game threads and i was trying to think of like what would be the most appropriate sort of secret mets fan band and uh unsurprisingly i went with uh known baseball but not necessarily Mets fans known baseball fans not necessarily Mets fans uh Kowloon Walled City I think a big sludgy metal version of Meet the Mets is just what we're missing (laughs) I don't know if that would appeal to the masses I was actually secretly hoping that you know the Mets would trade for Yasiel Puig this offseason so we get a Puig Destroyer version of Meet the Mets on their next album doesn't secretly wish that yeah I, I think everyone should this is episode 104 of Mason avenue audio and as you may have guessed by my co-host this week it is our prospect list spectacular a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts actually the first episode i ever did of Mason avenue audio was a prospect list spectacular this is our third one. 
So we'll go over the Amazing Avenue audio, or the Amazing Avenue prospect list, of which myself, Steve, and Greg represent three quarters of it, of the aggregate. Um, we're recording late on Tuesday night, which is why I'm going to gather Rob Castellano is not here. A little too late for him. Yeah, I think his bedtime's uh, probably before nine o'clock. Yes. That's okay. We will we will soldier on. We have a few topics to discuss. Uh, we'll start out with the sort of we'll take an overview of the system of the whole. We'll talk about Noah Syndergaard because I was thinking about it. We don't talk about Noah Syndergaard that much on the podcast, especially when we're talking about prospects. We talked about you know Dilson Herrera, Stephen Matz, Brandon Nimmo, Kevin Ploiecki. Montero was in the major league on the major league roster this year, so we talked about him a fair amount. Um, we video scouted Gabriel Yanoa. We've probably talked more about you know Louis Guillorme and Jared King and Dario Alvarez on the podcast, and we have Noah Syndergaard. So we'll talk about Noah Syndergaard, and we'll look forward to to 2015. Who might raise their stock? Who might jump off the list? And we'll look at our own lists and banter about that. Who we had higher and lower than the others. And we'll wrap things up with one of my favorite segments. I think we usually do it in the minor league preview, but I'm going to move it into the uh, prospect list preview this year. We're going to give you our guys, which are guys that may be on our list. May They may not be on our list. They may not even be prospects, but they're our guys. We'll kick things off with sort of an overview of the Mets system as it stands heading into the 2015 season. And I guess the, the biggest change from past years and our, our first talking point is this is no longer a pitching heavy uh organization pitching heavy system as far as i can tell um, if you look at the top 10 the only actual arms there were syndergaard and mats obviously the top two so that's nothing to scoff at but then Rafael Montero and Marcos Molina. So only four out of the top ten, which is a significant change from past years. Um, so this newfound balance, is this good, bad, overrated, underrated? What do you guys think? Well, given the you know current con- construction of the major league roster, I think this is a very good thing because they have some established pitchers on the major league team You know, they hope, you hope we're going to be able to be established for a while um, while also having a couple of top tier prospects at the top of the system to kind of provide some depth to that pitching. So then you have the, the, the hitting is, is kind of more of an area of need. And um, I think it's, it's encouraging that they have so many hitting prospects coming up along the way, especially because when you consider that some of the major league hitters are a little bit on the older side, you know, like Granderson and Kadire and, and Wright. So there's there's reinforcements uh, on the way, and that's 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 a good thing. Absolutely, and if you look at you know the, the baseball as a whole, offense is on the down, while pitching is you know a lot stronger, and it's good to see that we have you know a few possibly impact bats that could be coming up in the relative you know relative couple of years you know and i don't want to say that you know adding people like that would be more useful than adding you know uh pitchers but 
you know, because you as know, the Mets are finding out, you can only start five pitchers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You will probably start more than five pitchers, but at one time you can only start five pitchers. Right. Right. I mean, I've always looked at it. I never thought when it was like really weighted towards pitching, sort of the, the Wheeler, Harvey, Familia days, that that was necessarily a bad thing. Get the best, you know, having better prospects. I mean, the system as a whole is better now than it was even in those days. And that's a positive. I mean, the idea is to turn these guys into major leaguers one way or the other, whether it's by developing them as major leaguers and finding places for them to play or by trading them for major leaguers that you can slot into your roster, which is obviously something that this front office has not been particularly interested in doing. But they, you always need pitching. The Mets specifically need bats. And I don't really worry about the composition of it specifically, pitching versus hitting. You know, if the top five prospects in the system were all shortstops, um, that would be a problem. I mean, it might be a good problem at this point, maybe, but, uh, you know, that's not necessarily ideal because you do get into, I know, like the sort of like you get the, the Texas Rangers kind of situation where you have Luis Sardinius and Renato Odor, Odor and Jerks and Profar, and you got to find spots for all these guys and the Cubs to a lesser extent too with Russell and Baez and Alcantara, uh, you know, all sort of blocked by Starlin Castro, kind of, but not really. Um, I mean, these things tend to work itself out. And right. while I don't buy into this, you know, I'm, I don't really care about organization rankings per se. Uh, I don't know if this is a top five system. Obviously, we all focus on the Mets uh, organization far greater than any other system. And I'm sure we're aware of other good prospects of course as a matter of course but it's not something we don't have that sort of like longitudinal knowledge of uh, systems to compare you know the number nine guy in the Mets system the number nine guy in the red system the number nine guy in the race system but i don't know it doesn't feel like a top five system to me but well you know um today kyler mcdaniel dropped his uh, top 200 and at, at the bottom of his list, he had a, a graphic that kind of just broke it down by uh, the number of prospects by grade. And, you know, the Mets just have a lot of not – they had a lot of 55 future value prospects, which is to say that, you know, they have some guys who project to be, you know, basically major league regulars, you know, and, and major league contributors. They don't have a lot of top-end talent, so it's like quantity over quality – and so that's kind of why I, I think that it, it doesn't feel as good as, you know, you know, the Cubs obviously feel like a good system because they have a, to, a ton of high-impact talent. Um, you know, it just makes it feel a little bit more like a top-end system, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I think I've said this before, too. The, the strength of the system is in, in depth rather than in depth of uh, – potential meaningful major league contributors which is sort of a, a overly wordy way of saying average to above average major leaguers you know grade 50 to 60 guys yeah guys that probably aren't going to make an all-star team you know maybe in their best season but guys that are going to play you know 
10 years in the major leagues and hold down a starting job for a long part of that. You know, guys like Herrera, Nimmo, Ploiecki, Conforto. Um, you know, even further down the list where there's a little more risk with like Cicchini and Rosario and Yanoa and Dominic Smith. I mean, as much as I've sort of slagged Dominic Smith this season, I think he gets to the majors and that's valuable. They have a lot of guys like that. If you look at our aggregate list, which I probably should have had up on my computer screen already, but I don't, um, you know, I would say basically down to, you know, you know, it's sort of, I guess, Pueyo too. Could be, you know, it could be a middle reliever, but he's going to have some kind of major league value. I think you can say the same thing about Pueyo, whether it's just like a fourth or fifth outfielder. Though weirdly in the comment section, he was like the, uh, still the most like divisive process. People have like get really angry about Cesar Pueyo opinions in a way they don't get about, I think, any other player in the system. It's, it's a hot button topic, especially because of the biogenesis side of it. Right. But that, that's 13 guys. I mean, even Molina. And yeah, the pitchers could get hurt. That's, we all know that. You know, maybe Molina's a reliever, but it's probably a major league profile. If he has to move to the pen. I mean, really, until you get down to Johan Urania and Robert Zellman. Now you're talking about guys. And they're far enough away and there's enough risk there. Maybe they only get to double A. You know, Corey Mazzoni and Matt Reynolds, 16 and 17, going to play in the majors. So you're still getting down pretty far with guys that are I mean, not, you know, insignificant major league projections there on guys like, you know, uh, Cicchini, even Pueyo. You know, Pueyo could still be, a, he's 20, he's going to turn 24, I think, on opening day. He could still be a major league regular for somebody. Absolutely. But yeah, there's no. Like, there's no Chris Bryant, there's no Brian, uh, Byron Buxton, there's no Francisco Lindor here. Uh, and if you really like Syndergaard, maybe you put him in that category. And we'll talk a little bit about a little bit more about him in depth in a minute. But it's just that's a lot of dudes. It is a lot of dudes, as opposed to guys or capital guys. Yeah, part of the part of the problem the past couple of years is that they didn't have enough depth within the organization, and, and that's what led to guys like you know Omar Quintanilla, you know, getting a lot of at bats, and so you, you have a little bit of depth within your organization, and it, it's good. It's, it's, it's you're going to need it throughout the year. Any kind of depth that makes watching Vegas fifty one games at two o'clock in the morning interesting. Yeah, <laughs> all right by me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just for comparison's sake, quickly, when Alderson and company took over in the 2010 off season, here's the top ten prospects from Baseball America. <laughs> uh, number one was Henry Mejia. You know, that's nice. He turned into a uh, late inning reliever. That's a win. Number two was Wilmer Flores, still listed as a shortstop. Number three was Cesar Pueyo, still listed as a prospect. Uh, number four was Matt Harvey. That was right after he was drafted. And that's, you know, that's, at the time, a pretty nice top four. However, five through ten, Kirk Neuenheis, Reese Havens, Lucas Duda, 
Fernando Martinez, Adeline Rodriguez, Brad Holt. Press, they have the best tool series I always like. Uh, best strike zone discipline with Brad Emus. <laughs> uh, yeah, the rest of these aren't interesting because they're still true. Wilfredo Tovar was best defensive infielder in 2011. He's arguably still best defensive infielder in the system in 2015. And the always fun projected 2014 lineup. Uh, catcher Josh Tolley. First base, Ike Davis. Well, at the beginning. Second base, Reese Havens. That did not work out. Nope. Third base, David Wright. That's a win. <laughs> Shortstop, Jose Reyes. Uh, oh. <laughs> My favorite by far, left field, Wilmer Flores. <laughs> <laughs> Only slightly less plausible than being a starting shortstop, though, to be fair. Listen, uh, have, you, have you guys watched the uh, fan post that was posted earlier today about the team of Bartolo Colon's? I have not. I've been meaning to read it. I oh, well, it. if Bartolo Colon can play left field, so can Wilma Flores. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Angel Pagan in center, Cesar Pueyo in right. And a starting rotation of Santana, Mejia, Harvey, Pelfrey, and Nice. Well. They got Parnell as closer, though. Which in 2011 was a, a pretty decent guess, I think. Not bad. So that exercise, I think, did nothing than, other than kill a couple minutes on the podcast. But <laughs> to basically illustrate the thing that if you've been listening to this show, you already know, the Mets system is better now than it was in 2011. <laughs> so let's talk about the system in 2015 as it stands. Let's talk about the guy at the top of the list, Noah Syndergaard. I have no real agenda for this conversation. I just kind of want to open it up. And be like, what are our thoughts on Noah Syndergaard going into 2015? Well, um, I got some thoughts. Um, I've been told you have bullet points. Well, I I do. I have to come prepared. Otherwise, I'm going to be like a rambling idiot on here. Um, I mean, keep in mind, obviously, like we all had him number one in our system. So these are all just... I think we all had him number one last year, too. Yeah, so that's why that's part of the reason why he hasn't been discussed that much because it's just you know, not much has changed. Um, but just these are minor quibbles with him. Is that you know he's overly reliant on the fastball, and you got that in a lot of write-ups of him from you know, the other national publications. Um, and it's because it was apparent he just when he got in trouble, he would pump that fastball in and wouldn't trust the secondary stuff. It would get him into trouble. There was a game um, that was aired nationally on like CBS Sports Network or something, I think in June. Right. And he, he got into a lot of trouble in that game because in one inning, he just, he, I think he threw the fastball like 14 out of 15 straight pitches with two outs and just could not get the guys out. And it was just a, it was just a good example of just something that I also saw in a lot of other starts throughout the year. Um, so that's one. Uh, the other thing is that the secondaries, I mean, they're good, but like, they're not, I don't find them to be consistently good. You know, he's not like, he's not like throwing those pitches in the zone and getting swings and misses in the strike zone. Um, and he he doesn't, it's not like you're not going to see him 
lead off a batter by snapping off a, a, break, a breaking ball, you know, a curveball for a strike. It's just not something that he does, and you know, it's in his repertoire. It's just he needs to learn to like trust those pitches better, and I think also command them a little bit better. Um, and so then the last thing is that he also struggles with men on base, and this is something that he's admitted. To, uh, he's admitted in interviews is that he gets like anxious when guys are on base and he has trouble holding guys on. Um, and I think that it affects his ability to, you know, just pitch well when they have, he has men on base and it's something that he needs to work on. And so, you know, th those are, those are my minor quibbles with, uh, Norris in regard. And, you know, obviously keeping in mind that I had him, in, you know, we all did as our number one prospect. So, Yeah, I mean, he's 21, and you hope that stuff's going to come. And I think part of it is just we've been spoiled for pitching prospects recently. And the fact that he didn't follow the Harvey Wheeler, you know, half season in AAA gets called up after Super 2 track makes us look for these faults more because, you know, Wheeler wasn't dominant in Vegas. Harvey wasn't dominant in Buffalo. And, you know, obviously Harvey did that Harvey thing as soon as he was called up, and you don't project that onto anyone, as I try to reiterate, you know, once a month on this podcast, I feel like. Um, you know, the Matt Harveys and the Jacob deGroms are, are rare. I'd say unique, but we have two of them, so I can't really do that. But you look at Noah Syndergaard, you have a guy that has a, you know, power pitcher's frame built to log innings, you know, for a tall guy, athletic, repeats his mechanics well, and has a potential 80 fastball. And you'll see, you know, scouts are out there. I mean, at least they were end of last year that would throw, you know, 877 on his three pitches, his future grades. So that's in there. You know, scouts have seen that. You'll still see, I think, uh, you know, eight seven six, uh, six being for the changeup. From guys coming out, coming off this season, and it's a weird year. And you can read into what you want from Vegas. And you know, over the last couple months, I've entertained um, the idea of you know making an argument for Steven Matz at number one. I haven't seen anyone other than Wally Backman do it, and I didn't even really think about it too long when I was actually constructing my list about putting Matz number one. But I did say, you know, if, if Matz has a better professional career than Noah Syndergaard, will I be surprised? No. Does that make him a better prospect in my mind? Not really. And that's sort of like a weird thing you have to balance when doing these kinds of lists. Yeah, the, the average outcome here for Syndergaard is, is most likely starter in a rotation, you know, mid-rotation mid, mid starter. Yeah. I mean, that's, his very, that's a very likely outcome for him. And, you know, you, you can see top of the rotation stuff from Matt's. But, uh, you know, the average outcome is going to be a lot lower. But, you know, Matt's stuff is not better than Noah Syndergaard's. It's just not, even from the left side. 
No, I, and I don't think anyone's really saying that it, it is, you know, at least definitely not presently either. Um, I, I mean, I think that there, that you know, Mats has that, you know, number two starter ceiling, I think. Whereas, you know, Syndergaard can be like a number one starter. I think that that's his ceiling. So we did this segment last year on who we thought was going to be the number one prospect on our 2015 list. Because we all assumed Noah Syndergaard would graduate, and he didn't. But that's not going to deter us this year from probably being wrong again. Though I do think Noah Syndergaard will actually graduate this year. Who is your pick to be the number one prospect on our 2016 Mets list? Well, it's got to be a guy who's going to still be in the system. Yes. Obviously. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> so I'd probably go with Ahmed Rosario. I think a full season. You can't hear you can't hear me shaking my head. Obviously. <laughs> well, he's he's very. I mean, he's definitely going to still be in the system. Yes. Okay. Yes. And he's gonna he's gonna have a full season of, of baseball under him and. Uh, Look, you know, despite what you say, everybody, most other publications out there love this guy to death, and they they, they rave about his tools. And you know, the, the one national game that I saw this this year, of Brooklyn, that was, that was I know he raked. I I, I I predicted that, by the way, because <laughs> it was right after I wrote him up as you know. Yeah. So I gotta balance all these these uh, opinions, and uh, you know, then what what you see with your own eyes and. Look, I, I, there's there's a good chance. Let's just say he has the most potential to be number one next year, at least in my opinion. What does that even mean, Greg? <laughs> Who do you have, Steve? I'm just going to go with the easy one and go with Matt's. I think that he is going to get a promotion some point this year or next year, 2015, probably at the end of the season, but he's not going to accrue enough MLB innings to lose his you know, rookie status or anything. So I'm going with Matt's safe sensible pick and and i mean it's not i'm not just saying that because oh he's number two i mean he's right no you know, he's yeah. a good prospect um i mean i'm assuming syndigard mats herrera plowecki and montero all age off i mean i think montero and herrera are pretty much locks because herrera wasn't that many at bats short after this year uh, and Montero only needs a few more innings, which he will get. Uh, and I think I think Matt's it's tough to tell because it, it, Matt's is more dependent on rotation depth or lack thereof than Syndergaard is. It's like how many pitchers get injured. You know, barring a, a Jacob Degrom type breakout, which is not impossible, could Matt's jump the line on Syndergaard? Not inconceivable, but. I think it's going to be Brandon Nimmo. You think he's going to stick in Vegas, I guess, for most of the year? I just think, I think he'll get a September call-up. I don't think, I'm going to say, I don't think there's going to be enough outfield at bats, but looking at that outfield, it's entirely possible there'll be enough outfield at bats at some point. But, I don't know, it's, it, this is entirely because it's February 17th, I'm pretty sure, 
but I'm buying into like the Kevin Long fixes swing and now he's going to hit for power. Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't be. I now. shouldn't be. I shouldn't be. <laughs> I absolutely should not be. You're right to laugh at me. But I've always, there's just something about Nimmo that I've always, I've always thought the power is there. And I think, I'm not saying I'll put him number one on my list. I could see him doing something stupid in Vegas, like numbers wise, where he hits like, you know, 25 bombs or something. But I suppose if he does that, he'll probably get called up at some point. Yeah. 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 But I don't see, I mean, I think, I think the safe choice is Conforto. Yeah. Goes out and mashes St. Lucie and Binghamton and everybody ahead of him kind of graduates. Um, you know, Marcos Molina is a good pick too, I think. I, mean, I think those are really the names, barring something weird. They don't have a first round pick, so that kind of eliminates that dude. <laughs> Whoever that dude would have been. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of options. Which is, no, uh, there are, because I don't think, I think once you get past the guys that are going to graduate, it's kind of a bit of a free-for-all i don't remember who i predicted last year i should have gone back and looked or listened i feel like i picked herrera to like, take a big step forward so i'm feeling good about that in my head where i did that <laughs> but i'm not sure if i actually did i probably picked brandon nimmo now, you weren't on the show so i think it was just me and rob if Come I had hypothetically been... If you had hypothetically... Well, you put him number two, so... <laughs> um, along that same vein, and this doesn't have to be a, a top ten guy, and probably shouldn't be for the purposes of the question, who do you think takes a big step forward this year? Yeah, like, from the top 25 here? Yeah, yeah, from the top 25. I mean, it could theoretically be someone outside the top 25. You have a sleeper you really like, but... You know, somebody that moves into the top 10 or even top five of the system next year. I think a guy like Casey Meisner has a good shot. Uh, I like that pick. As a pick. I don't love him as a prospect, but I like that as a pick. He seems to be filling out into his frame a little bit and just kind of, I feel like he's added a couple of ticks of velocity since, uh, since he's been drafted. So I just think it's, uh, it's projectable. Have good numbers in Savannah, probably, because everyone has good numbers in Savannah. Who do you like, Steve? Uh, to jump into the top five or ten, I'm going to go with Inoa. I mean, because you me, didn't have him already in the top ten. Right. Well, I mean, to to me, he's a, he's already a top ten guy. But yeah. in, in you know, for everyone else who doesn't believe, I'm like you and me. I'm really I'm. I mean, I can't, there's some things I'll yell at you guys about your list later, but not having Rob on the show is a real detriment to my inner bitchiness. Yeah, he had a couple of, couple of odd picks. Gabriel, you know, at 19. Jesus. I had him at 13, and I'm not even that down on him. No, you're not. <laughs> um, so we'll go over now some guys that 
we had on our list that nobody else did. And that doesn't apply to anyone on Steve's list, but he'll have to, uh, since Rob's not here, I'll just let, <laughs> I'll let him defend the guys that are only on, uh, his and Rob's list. And there's quite a few, uh, surprisingly. The one name on, uh, Greg's list that no one else had was Danny Mono, <laughs> which I think gives you the most future utility infielders out of all of us. I think, I think that does wrap it up. Yeah, uh. Look, I, I think I, this is la- probably his, you know this is his last year that he's going to be, you know, prospect. He's you had him at twenty four, and he's older than the number you have him ranked at. <laughs> he's twenty six. <laughs> I just think I think that there is a chance that there's major league value in there, and I think that at that range of my ranking system, you know, uh, I just kind of feel like, you know, and if, if there's a ch- a good chance of being a major league contributor at in some way shape or form i just thought that uh you know i should i should throw that kind of guy on the list and you know he's look he's a guy who's got good plate discipline can get on base switch hitter days. don't forget he's a switch hitter hey so you know that helps and uh I, I think there's value there and that's why i put him on there and it hasn't happened yet but he's had good results everywhere he's been so I've always sort of, I don't know, I've seen a lot of Danny Mono over the last few years. Yeah. Um, I've always, like, sort of liked it. I just wish he were a better defender than he was, mm. or than he has turned into, I think. Because, um, like, for sort of that utility infield profile... You know, guys that are really just really should only play second base, but are going to play short and third, maybe some former outfielder if they have a major league career. He's just not as athletic anymore as guys like McNeil and Reynolds. So that's my concern there. He's not a great second baseman anymore. You know, in my mind, he's kind of right below LJ Mazzilli on my list. That's wrong. I need to fix that. I went out to 50 for the purposes of because like 23 on was pretty fluid to me. So I just kept ranking guys to keep track of them. But yeah, he should be ahead of LJ Mazzilli. But uh, he's that kind of, he's closer to that kind of prospect, I think, than sort of the McNeils and Reynolds of the world. I mean, I don't hate him. By any stretch of the imagination, I've always had a, a bit of a soft spot for him because he's in that he's that he is the new Josh Satin. I mean, he's not the new Josh Satin to me, but objectively looking at the system, he's the new Josh Satin. Yeah, you know, college it. senior, raked in college. You know, was a shortstop, but really shouldn't be playing shortstop. Um, you know, that kind of you know hit at every level. He's that kind of guy, so I I can't you know. I can't hate on Danny Mono. There you go. There's, a, I mean, there's a few names that I can give to give to Steve here. I see one guy that me and Rob both have that no one else had was Milton Ramos. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I can't really get upset right, I mean, about he's, that. He's a valid it's like pick a, it's a, he's a, he's a totally valid pick. Yeah. I had him at 27, so it's like. No, no, you're gonna have to defend Akil Morris. Oh, I love Akil Morris. I know you do. <laughs> He's my new Juan Urbina. Ugh. And 
you know how much I love Juan Urbina. <laughs> yeah. Poor Juan Urbina. Huh. Um, I mean, it's not like I was ranking, you know, Morris 10, 15, you know. On yeah, my and it's again, when you get, it's probably when you get to like this part of the list specifically. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like whatever. Like, it's not, it's so fluid. Like, this is the one part of my list that changed a ton. I had Domingo Tapia. I had Luis Sessa at one point. I think I had uh, Udor Garcia Pacheco on the back end of it. It's just like, pick. Like, I had Jeff McNeil at 23. I was really confident about that top 23. And it's just like, yeah, pick two guys. You went with uh, the tools guys. You went with the guy with the power and then the other guy with the other power. And the other guy with the other power, yeah. So I just said, yeah, just pick the power guys as opposed to the big fastball guys. But they're probably relievers. But it's kind of like at that point, whatever. I mean, it's... it's it, the kill Morris there is defensible, even though it's not really defensible. <laughs> I mean, anyone to anyone other than me, it's totally defensible. So you guys want me to make my case for Brandon Brocher or Ivan Wilson? Uh, I mean, you've talked about Ivan Wilson to death. You know, we know we know what your opinion is on Ivan Wilson is that he's, he could be a stud. If it clicks, but he's not going. It's not going to. <laughs> right, right, right. So you put him oh, on there nice. just in case. I'm the one that had Blake Taylor, and I had him at 19. Yeah, that was that was a bit of an odd one. Okay, so here's my here's my. I'll, I'll do Blake Taylor then, because I think that's a good. The I actually had an argument with. What did I have an argument with this with? Oh, I didn't have an argument about it, but I, I when I posted my list on my secret wordpress site that's not very secret um sort of my argument for for blake taylor is sort of comparing him to casey meisner you know taylor they were both you know second third round picks there's not a lot, a lot of difference i think to really parse in that in terms of draft pedigree um i just don't see a huge difference between them as prospects yeah, I think Taylor's curveball is a lot more projection, for example. You know, he doesn't have... You know, Meisner, by the end of the year, had more velocity. But I, I think Taylor will get into the low 90s. Meisner a little bit more, but Taylor's from the left side. I think the secondaries are more projectable. I just don't see a ton of difference between them. Well, you're projecting uh, some velocity that just hasn't shown up yet which is probably what makes me a little bit hesitant. I mean, it was there when he was... It, it's always tough because it was there pre-draft. Right, yet, you've had uh, mixed reports on that, right? Sure, like, yeah. I mean, when I saw him, he was topping out at 89. Yeah, I think there's some fixes there, but... And he was, you know, low 90s when he was drafted. It's very raw, but it's from the left side. I think the, it's just... Meisner's secondary stuff did not impress me. It was very, very soft. Um, as far as like the sort of the prospect list as snapshot in time thing, I I think Taylor's a better prospect. I'd, I'd rather bet that the velocity ticks back up. I think the curveball will end up better. And again, I think it's some of the helium for Meisner is just more national prospect guys see him because more live within driving distance of Brooklyn 
than live yeah. within driving distance of Kingsport. Yeah. And that's why you see Brooklyn guys get, you know, blown up more than Kingsport guys to a certain extent, even if there's not a huge difference in them as prospects. Like, I don't see a huge difference between Johan Urania and Wilmer Becerra. And they're very different types of prospect. Um, so they're not the best comparison point. But again, Urania got blown up in part because a lot of guys saw him. You know, the Northeast is loaded with, you know, dudes with radar guns behind home plate. Yeah, that makes sense. Compared to, like, Tennessee. So I think there's there's a, there's a certain bias there, certainly. So in the same vein, there were some uh, differences of opinions on guys we all had on our lists, or at least most of us did in some cases. Guys we were higher than, uh, higher on than than others, and lower than others. So in sort of the Albert Brooks defending your life model, which I'm always a fan of. We'll start with Greg. <laughs> And I, I don't even know why I'm asking you to defend this. You had Cesar Pueyo at eight. You're saying it's indefensible. Well, I'm just saying you had like okay. I'm, you had him higher than <laughs> two recent first round picks: Gavin Chikini, Dominic Smith. You're sort of the new hotness, Marcos Molina. The other new hotness, Ahmed Rosario. So uh, why was Cesar Pueyo that high on your list? Well, look, I'm not going to overlook. I'm not going to have too much recency, you know. I don't want to just look at his most recent season and say that's who he is. Um, I mean, the guy's a year away from triple slashing 326, 403, 547 in AA as a 22-year-old. I mean, that is, that's like one of the best seasons I've seen a Mets prospect put up in years. I made a joke and, about that in the comments with the guy that uh, was like arguing that I can't believe people are so high on Pueyo and low on Conforto. It's obvious he's going to have the better major league career. Yeah, you might be right, but maybe the guy that had a 950 OPS in AA at 22 versus the guy that has 40 professional games, maybe not the best example to use. Yeah, he's done it. He's he's done it at a at a high level, AA, which is you know a proving ground for minor league prospects. And he didn't just you know prove himself. I mean, he dominated. He was an All Star. I was at the All Star game he was in. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, that's part of it. Um, the other part of it is that I don't, I don't think that his, his, his season wasn't as bad as people seem to think it was, uh, this past year. So apparently this has been publicly reported, which I was unaware of, but yeah, he did have like serious concussion issues last year. I haven't said it on the podcast because I wasn't aware if it had been publicly reported or not. Um, yeah, he was on, he was on the minor league DL. Uh, it was, was, that was actually something that was tough to figure out why he was on the outside well it was it was pointed out to me and i hadn't thought of it that way that you only really see that kind of stuff not get reported if the team kind of botched the handling of it and if you look back there's a lot of things where he was like coming in as a pinch runner or a pinch hitter or a defensive replacement and never really he never really sat for like three weeks at any point in time while that was all going on 
So that's part of it. Um, you know, I don't know how much to attribute that to, to, to anything, but what, I, what I'm saying is that it's part of the factor. Uh, it's one factor, and just the season itself was not that bad. He had a, I mean, he had a, he put up a 3.55 on base. Uh, I, granted, all this is in you know the Pacific Coast League. It's it's Vegas. We know that it's an inflated offensive environment, but it, 3.55 on base, not that bad. It was the best walk rate of his career. Uh, his strikeout rate was below 20%. I mean, there were some things to like. Um, and he's still he's still a very good base runner, okay? Uh, he plays a good defense in the outfield. He could play center. Uh, you know, he could play a little center. He's got a strong arm. Um, According to Baseball America in 2011, the best outfield arm in the system. Yeah. And he, the arm, I mean, the arm is still, still true. Yep. Yeah. So... When you add all that up, I mean, he, and, and also he 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 crushed left-handed pitching last year. Uh, that is what he uh, does. Nine forty-two OPS versus lefties um, in twenty fourteen, uh, which is good and is valuable. And then you know the last thing is that he's still young. I mean, last year he he had just twenty four plate appearances against pitchers that were older than him. He's still he's still relatively young. He's going to be twenty four going into next year. Um, I just think that. He didn't have that bad a season. A couple of years ago, he had a really, really good season, and I think that there's still a very valuable major league regular uh, that could. That's the potential there, and so I'm, I'm not going to knock that guy too much. And that, that's a top ten prospect for me. I feel like I had a hand in this by like bringing him up on every show you've been on over the last year. Hey, it's from it's from doing minor league recaps for a while. Yeah, look, I I had him at fourteen. I I have no. I just I I'm still a little worried about the upside. He has issues with sliders in the dirt, but I think you know. One of the reasons after the Mets signed John Mayberry Jr., I said, well, that might be it for Cesar Pueyo. In terms of his forty man spot, at least, or you know, he's got to clear waivers. Because out of options that, you know, you can see Cesar Pueyo sort of, you know, maybe you want to downgrade the likely outcome to John Mayberry Jr. with better defense. But that guy plays in the majors. Right. You know, Mayberry's had, if not, you know, maybe as good a major league career as we thought he would have as a prospect. And he was a first round pick. Uh back in 2005 but you know a guy that's played over you know 500 games in the majors he's played six seasons a league average hitter essentially um by ops plus i mean he's been kind of replacement level because he can't field and he can't play a premium defensive position um, which are less of an issue for cesar pueyo but, you know, John Mayberry Jr. with a better glove, that dude plays in the majors for a while. And I think Cesar Pueyo will. I just, eh. There are just guys I liked more this year, I guess. But I don't have a huge problem with him being that high. I mean, there's I just, nobody. I look at the guys behind him. I'm like, you can make a case for Pueyo just by proximity to the majors over pretty much the next, you know, six guys behind him on your list. Yeah. I, I look, and you know, I just part of it's also, you know, just don't forget about this guy who's, you know, one of the best prospects in the system last year. I mean, you know, let's not knock him too much. It's not like he, it's not like he hit 200 last year. 
And he raked in the Dominican Winter League, which probably doesn't mean anything, but it happened. Yep. Conversely, a guy, Greg, that you are lower on than anyone else is uh, Marcos Molina. Yeah. Well, you have him as the third best prospect on the Cyclones behind uh, Conforto and Rosario and. Yeah, I, I look. I, I know that um, he has the best profile of any of the pitchers that have come through Brooklyn in the past couple of years, at least in terms of stuff. Um, and he had very good results. Uh, two things. One is that look. I, I don't. I'm not a scout. I, I don't. You know. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure about. You know what makes a reliever, what does not make a reliever, but I've seen uh, the gift that's been you know circulated. Yeah, we've all seen. Look, it's bad. It's, it's not, not good. Bad. I'm not going to tell you that 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 gif is a lie. Yeah, the delivery's not good. It's uh, I don't know. I don't even know what the right terminology is, but it's a short stride. It's like a stiff front leg, and it's like all arms. And so, you know, look, that that worries me. And then the other thing that worries me is that look, I'm not going to get too excited about a guy who rolled through. Um, you know, rookie ball league. It's just, it's just not that exciting to me. Um, I want to see it against better competition. There's been plenty of guys who have rolled through Brooklyn in the past couple of years uh, who have not really amounted to much. So those are, those are my main reasons, really. It's like the reliever projection and then just the level of competition is just not very impressive. So I don't, yeah. Look, Molina's, I mean, it's bad. Like, I wouldn't teach it. I did my little spiel in the in the comments on his uh, Mason Avenue prospect list entry, but it, it is what it is. You're not going to change it. You're either going to get hurt or he's going to stop being effective at least late in the games, which was already sort of an issue this year. But, I mean, it's, on a pure stuff level, for a 19-year-old, I just don't even have him outside of the top 10. Because if he somehow doesn't get hurt and keeps it together, you know, he could have gotten outs last year in St. Lucie. I think he's going to get outs this year in St. Lucie, certainly. You know, there's not, it's... Right, this is a guy who could make a big leap for me this year uh, if he can you know, prove the same thing against better competition. Fair. Okay, I'll, I'll 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 let you be a year late on him. That's fine. Yeah, I'll risk it. I think there's a lot of sort of Mejia in there, both the hair, though. He's got a ways to go after what Mejia showed up with this year to spring training, um, <laughs> and his mechanics are bad in a different way than Mejia's mechanics are bad. You know, he's a bigger, more physical, athletic guy than Mejia is. So it, it's. I don't really want to call it max effort because it's not really an accurate descriptor. If you've seen the delivery, it's just weird effort. The effort is in weird places. Um, he's another guy that kind of fluttered around on my list. I had him as high as five. Um, just because, you know, I'm an upside whore. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think his... You want to talk about ceiling? How about 75th percentile projection? I think it's every bit as high as uh, Syndergaard and Matz's. Uh, sure, but more risk, you know. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, again, I think, as I've said about Molina all along, even going back to the first time I talked about him on the podcast after seeing him this past summer, it's, it's all Marcos Molina and how you rank him 
comes comes down to how willing you are to absorb risk in your profile in the, in the profile of a prospect you're trying to rank yeah it's hard to stay it's hard to stay consistent with that methodology yeah <laughs> all the way through the list now we'll move on to uh steve sippa and i would guess the segment that everyone is waiting for because Steve's kind of, in some ways, also standing in for Rob Castellano here, but a, a guy that Steve had much higher on his list than either of us is Matt Bowman. So to be fair, Steve, I will. You had him at fourteen, fourteen, which is lower than Rob, who had him at eleven. I'm really sad Rob's not on the show. <laughs> I want to reiterate that. Um. Greg had him at 25, which I'm not, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to quibble with that. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, and for our listeners' reference, I had him at 34. Oof. You really don't like Matt Bowman. I like Matt Bowman fine. As, um, as but I will fun. let, Steve, I will let you state your case on why you had Matt Bowman at 14, and then I will respond accordingly. All right, well... I'll get the bigger picture out of the way first, not addressing any of his stuff. Um, a lot of the pitchers who are in that kind of second tier, you know, level, once you get out of the top 10, the top, you know, 15 or so, you have a lot of projects. You have the Selmans, the Meisners, the Whalens, uh, even, you know, um, Fulmer. So for me, placing Bowman higher than those guys is more kind of ceiling above floor as vis-a-vis uh, -vis where he is as opposed to you know where they are i'm a kind of person where you know even if you're not the best kind of prospect if you are producing at a higher level if you're producing at you know high a double a triple a you're not the sexiest name but you're you're producing that has value to me and that has more value than a guy who is all projection, you know, down in, you know, you know who has, who has, you know, value, and they're and they're producing in a lower uh, league. So that's looking at the broader picture. Looking at Bowman specifically, he's, you know, like I said, he's not the sexiest prospect. He doesn't have particularly flashy pitches. But he's getting unless you're Keith Law, <laughs> right? And, and just so everybody knows, full disclosure: when did we make this list? In December. Yeah, yeah. So you know. Yeah, you were hour... you were before Keith Law and the exactly. four averager about pitches. Yes. Yes. So, so, but you know, he doesn't have particularly flashy stuff, but he's getting results. He gets you know a lot of ground balls. We mentioned him before. You know, Josh Satton. I think Bowman is the Josh Satton of pitch. You're just you're just trying to get me angry now. <laughs> I mean, he he reminds me a lot of Colin McHugh, at least in the stat line, a guy that didn't really have particularly flashy stuff, but consistently put up very solid numbers. And then he goes to Houston. He you know there's a couple of tweaks are made, and then he has a very good season. I don't know if Bowman's stuff compares to McHugh's, but. You know he's you know he's a guy you could possibly tweak something, have him focus more on certain pitches as uh, as opposed to having the 
the whole assortment that he has and improve on, you know, one or two as opposed to having, you know, four or five, whatever, but, um, and, yeah, so, I mean, how, you, 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 I just don't see how you could really argue with the results that he gets. I mean, <laughs> also, I mean, this is also another thing to keep in mind is that it's, like we kind of touched on before, it's, like, rating these guys as prospects as opposed to rating these guys as how they could be in the major leagues. I mean, I don't necessarily know that Bowman would do well in the major leagues. He could very easily get, you know, beaten up. But as a prospect, you know, as a person who is in the minor leagues, you know, he's producing and his production warrants a higher ranking on my list. Getting like philosophical differences now, which I think is always interesting. Because for me, it's when I look at him, like the first thing I'm thinking of is what is this guy in the major leagues? Uh, and the comp for Bowman, you know, you're always saying, like, oh, it's Dylan G. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys in this system for me that sort of fit into that sort of like you know, guys that could be Dylan G. You know, John Gant. Uh, is a name that comes to mind. You know, even guys, you know, like like Meisner and Taylor. You know, what's really the upside there? You know, Dylan G is like a four or five type starter. And yeah, Bowman could be that, but I've just never like Dylan G has a absolutely slam dunk major league changeup, and he got both his breaking balls close enough to major league average that hitters at least have to be aware of them and respect them. I just didn't see anything this year from Bowman that really compared to Dylan G on a stuff level, and that's my concern. Uh, you know, could he? And he's not a guy where you look at it. And, you know, I'm behind guys. Just looking at my list, I'm behind Tapia, I'm behind Luis Sessa, I'm behind Hansel Robles. Because at least with those guys, I can see a you know a meaningful role in a bullpen at some point in the future i don't see that with matt bowman and i don't believe he's a major league starter and once that's off the table it's for me it's just not an enticing profile at all and you know what's funny about all this is that you probably saw matt bowman's like one of his best starts of the season oh yeah i did absolutely he absolutely dead shoved against new britain <laughs> yeah, 12 strikeouts right i mean was that- it was something like that. it was double digits i remember yeah, yeah it was like 12 strikeouts in seven innings he knew Jeff was coming. He wanted to impress. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want I, to be ranked thirty-four. <laughs> and look, you know, I saw him in Brooklyn. It was it was intriguing. It was kind of they were stretching him out in like a he had just gotten drafted. They're doing like two innings at a time, kind of thing. And yeah, the Lincecum delivery is fun. It's just not, you know, it's I don't see that guy. And I might be wrong. I was wrong about Dylan G. Um, I just don't see that guy getting major league hitters out consistently. And the ground ball rate is nice, fine. Um, but I don't, it's just not, if I believed he was a, like, I believe John Gant could be a major league starter. Now there's more projection there, certainly. I'm projecting a bit, especially onto his breaking ball, Uh, but it's, it's similar, you know, kind of a, they're funky in different ways. Again, Bowman sort of Timlin's come light. John Gant has like a bunch of like hitches in his delivery. That sort of adds, and he hides the ball, I think, better than Bowman does. 
you know, I have him at 30 and Bowman at 34. And again, I, I will again say that I don't have a huge issue with Greg putting Bowman at, at 20, at, you know, at 25. That's not that part of the list. It's not, it's pretty fluid, you know, 20 to 50, really. And that's gonna be true of most systems. I just, I wish, I just, we're really kind of hanging our hat on like a half dozen Vegas starts. I really want to see him have sustained success in that environment. And even then, it's kind of like, you know, the jump to AAA to the majors is big, especially for pitchers. And it's just not, it's not four average or better pitches. It's really, I don't see a pitcher that projects as major league average for me. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you've got a strong stance on this one. I right? do. We're, I think we're yes. going to find Samba, out. Samba is going to find me and my family, apparently, according to the uh, <laughs> Amazing Avenue comment threads. Yeah. And look, I've been wrong about guys before. I'll be wrong about guys again. I might be wrong about Matt Bowman, but I'm going to be aggressively wrong about Matt Bowman if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's fine if, you know, I don't have any sort of, you know, irrational love for him. No, people, no, I understand. You know. Uh, you definitely don't have any irrational love for Corey Mazzoni. No, I don't. Who you have lower on everybody else on uh, your list than anybody else. I do. He's, uh, what do I have him here? He's 23. 23. I have him at uh, 21. Greg has him at 16, and Rob has him at 13. Again, really sad Rob's not on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> of course, you can see all of our lists up in the uh, Mason Avenue Top 25 Mets prospects for 2015, which is up on the site right now. Went up on uh, Monday afternoon. But getting back to Corey Mazzoni, you don't like Corey Mazzoni. No, I'm not a fan. I'm, I have a bias against starting pitchers who any kind of real value, any real kind of future value is going to have to be coming from being transitioned into the bullpen. Interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, I ranked him. He's in my top twenty-five. So yeah, I don't, he's he's not a non-prospect. Has, right, exactly. He's not a non-prospect to me, but it's just you know, um, <clears throat> he has. And even if he is transitioned into the bullpen, there's you know that's there's no guarantee that he would have any success either. Uh, he just seems to me he 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 feels to me just to be a very generic right-handed pitcher. He doesn't bring anything particularly special with him. He's not bad. I'm not saying he's bad. But even if you gift him a couple of more miles of velocity on his fastball, if he comes out of the bullpen, focusing on just one or two uh, secondary pitches and kind of you know refining them more, it just mm. <laughs> just not a fan. Now that you're actually like saying this out loud to me, I I don't, and I had him uh, lower than Robert Greg. You know, I like. I think I've I, he's another guy that bounced around a bit for me. I think I had him higher, and then I moved him behind guys like you know Blake Taylor and 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 Matt Reynolds. As sort of my process went on, you know, he's a guy that has shown more fastballs and short bursts even as a starter. So I I buy into that a little more. And you see fastball split guys have success out of the pen, but it's like, I mean, I think you're right to say, is this like really more than like a seventh inning guy, a Carlos Torres type, which has its value. Right, right. But he's also a guy that doesn't have a great track record of staying healthy. 
um, because sort of that fastball split um, arsenal and a very long arm action because he's not he's not a, a big guy by any stretch of the imagination might lend himself to platoon splits. I think you know having him if you don't think he's an impact reliever. Having him this low isn't unwarranted. Uh, Greg, you had him a, a, a decent amount higher, I guess, again. You know, 15 to 25 is going to be pretty fluid. Uh, but you had him at 16, so why did you have Mazzoni as high as you did? So I think that Mazzoni has a chance to stick as a starter. Ooh, interesting. That, yeah. So it, it's it's mostly because he's he's got decent fastball, okay? It's like 93, 94 mile an hour fastball. He's, secondaries are okay. They still. I I saw him pitch pitch one inning, of one game, and in half of the inning the secondaries were miserable, and the other half of the inning the secondaries were uh, missing bats. This sounds and, like a every Corey Mazzoni start. <laughs> yeah, well, so there's the potentials in there. Um, he's actually had some decent results um, in Double A and Triple A. Uh, at least in terms of strikeouts and walks. So I think that there's some potential there, and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they haven't they haven't transitioned him to the bullpen yet, and, I mean, usually that's not something that you're going to do until, like, the last, you know, the last possible moment. But now that he's on the 40-man, they might, they might do that. But until they do, he has a chance to be a starter. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little higher on him than most other people are going to be. So I think these are... Both absolutely reasonable points about Corey Mazzoni. If you buy into the fact that he might be able to stick as a back-end starter, yeah, you can have him a little bit higher. You think he's a reliever and not an impact reliever, and there's some risk in the transition. He hasn't been healthy. You might have him a little lower. This is a lovely, pleasant chat that I'm now going to ruin with my uh, higher and lower guys. And I really figured I would be talking about Gabby Yanoa here. But Steve Sippa, like any right-thinking individual, also had Yanoa at number nine. Uh, in the comments section, I was actually uh, talking myself into Yanoa as high as number six, which was fun. But uh, the guy I have higher than anybody else is, uh, and again, o- only marginally in some cases. And again, we're talking, once we get out of sort of the top 10 to 15, it gets a lot more fluid. But for the purposes of this discussion, I had Wilmer Becerra uh, higher than Greg, Steve, or Rob. I had him at number 15. Greg had him at 17. Steve had him at 19, and Rob at 22. Again, is there that much difference between the 15th and 22nd best prospect on this list? I don't know. But uh, I like Wilmer Becerra. I buy into the tools, and they're you know, I have him right behind Cesar Pueyo, which might, I, I, that's unfair to somebody, possibly Cesar Pueyo, because there's certainly a scenario where, you know, three years from now, Wilmer, Wilmer Becerra looks a lot like, you know, 2014 Cesar Pueyo at higher levels. But again, it's a, a nice right field profile. Guy can run a little bit, can throw a little bit, will be a solid average defender in a corner, and... If they figure out what they're going to do with that swing, you know, a guy that is an above average right fielder at the major league level, potentially. 
There's a lot of potential. There is, and you know, part partially because it still kind of feels like he's been around for a while. The R.A. Dickey trade, I think, feels like a long time ago to us. Um, you don't realize that he's only 19, or was 19 this year because he came over. The Blue Jays brought him over to the to the GCL as a 17-year-old. Of course, he got hit in the face and had his season ended. Um, and he wasn't great in 2013 in the GCL for the Mets. And, you know, his numbers weren't spectacular in Kingsport this year. Um, part of that, he was very good the first month or so there. Made some adjustments. I, of course, interviewed him. And when I was out there, talked to him a little bit about his uh, changes in his approach that he's made. Uh, he's a guy where full season ball, and I think they will send him to Savannah next year, is going to be a real test. And I'm curious to see what he does. That's going to be a very fun uh, lineup in Savannah in general. Uh, and I'm willing to buy in to the tools because, you know, having you know, stood next to him, you know, dude... We're not selling jeans here, but Wilmer Becerra can sell some jeans. <laughs> um, and, like, he looks really good in BP. His game swings were a bit hit and miss when I saw him, but he did, you know, he stayed in, you know, on a fastball running in on his hands and saw him drive it with authority to the opposite field for a double. And that's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's something right there. I also had a scout throw an Alex Escobar comp on him, which is always fun, too. So, uh, The guy I had lower than anyone else. In fact, actually not on my list at all. Uh, and I believe everybody else, yes, had him on their list is Rob Whalen. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very plain here. I ranked 50 guys. Rob Whalen was not one of them. And I'm probably going to get angry tweets now. Because that's apparently something that happens when you don't say something nice about Rob Whalen. But, you know, I saw him in Savannah. And it's actually very similar to sort of, I guess, my, my anti-Matt Bowman argument. What you're doing is you're saying, this guy could be Dylan G someday. Which is fine, and Dylan G is a valuable major leaguer. Rob Whalen is a lot further away from being Dylan G than Matt Bowman is. Here's the guy that sits 88 to 90. I think he touched 92 when I saw him, but there's a lot of effort to get it there. There's not much physical projection. You know, there's no secondary that really stands out. He throws them a lot. He has a full four-pitch mix, and he'll work backwards. You know, he'll throw the kitchen sink at you. In Savannah, that works. You will absolutely kill guys if you have a four-pitch mix that you can spot. But there's nothing there where you think, oh, yeah, that's going to get double-A hitters out. Without some, uh, actually, a good deal of refinement. Interesting. So I just don't see... You know, of the guys I saw or have seen in the past on that Savannah pitching staff, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's a better prospect than Gazelman. I don't think he's a better prospect than Gant. I don't think he's a better prospect than Miller Diaz. You know, his stuff's just not as good. I don't think he's a better prospect than Flexen. 
You know, McGowan? Yeah, okay, maybe. Uh, but and for me, until he does it at higher levels, I just I cannot get excited about Rob Whalen. Look, I know he's a Mets. He grew up a Mets fan. He's popular on Twitter, and that's going to positively affect Mets fans' views on him in general, and that's fine. I'm not going to tell you who to root for, but from the stuff I saw. I just I don't see him as anything more than a you know an organizational soldier. Well, yeah, you've seen him. I haven't seen him. R.I.P. My so. mentions. <laughs> Slight covers the guys we are. Highly, no one even wants to take me out on Rob Whalen, which is probably for the yeah. best. Let's just move on. <laughs> um, you win that round. Yeah. Uh, now I have a, fu- a fun little uh, game we can play. Well, the guys outside the top 10. And actually, I'll, I'll, I will say outside the top 13. I think that gets us to Pueyo, right? Well, if, if you're not me. <laughs> I meant on yes, the aggregate list. 13. I thought Pueyo was 13. He is. Yes, okay. So the guys outside of the top 13, who has the best major league career? I could see Matt Reynolds as a guy that lingers as the gritty, you know, replacement infielder for years and years and years and just accrues a lot of, you know, war because of that. Again, sensible choice, Steve. Yeah. But in terms in terms of a guy that could actually have you know, impact, I mean, Matt Reynolds might be the everyday shortstop by May fifteenth. <laughs> yeah, that's in- uh, it's entirely plausible scenario where that happens. In terms of guys that I think could have like you know, an actual you know, fairly large impact on a year by year basis, someday I think could be Meisner. Sticking I mean, with, with Casey Meisner. Yeah, he you know, if if he develops and fills out the way that you know best case scenario could. He could be a pretty decent pitcher. Greg? Well, I'll go with, um, I'll say Corey Mazzoni has the best chance, like, in terms of median outcome. Um, but I think that Champ Stewart might have, like, more upside than, than most of the other guys on that on the rest of the list. We haven't talked about him a ton, but the, the thing about Champ Stewart is he only has to hit a little bit. Yeah. Just hit a little bit. He might not at all, but he only has to hit a little bit. Right, he's got speed defense, you know. Um, since you guys have taken most of the guys I would have chosen, um, it would be boring if I doubled down on Wilmer Becerra, I guess. And maybe we're writing off Michael Fulmer too soon. Certainly possible. I, mean, now, I don't know that he's a starter. Um, but I could see the fastball slider having a meaningful late inning role. And picking Johan Urania, who's 14 on this list, is kind of cheating, I feel like. Uh, I don't feel strongly about Fulmer for whatever reason. 
looking at my the rest of my list, I don't feel strongly about any of those guys either. I could say like Gabriel Yanes. If I really wanted to uh go ridiculously deep, but it's a guy that you know was in the GCL last year. Let's not uh we're a couple of years removed from Fulmer having that good season. Yeah, that is the problem. And he, that's another guy where, you know, Corey Mazzoni has had issues staying healthy. Michael Fulmer has been hurt. Yeah. I think it's sort of the difference there. Um, I think Steve had it right with Matt Reynolds. I just, I have a weird, he had like a 400 and 430 batting average on balls in play in his, his two stops last year, which yeah. is, I, I don't care how many adjustments he made. Nobody does that in the majors. Um, but it just, it is, it's, it's the kind of profile and the Mets like him a lot too, the organization. So I think he's going to get opportunities here. Even if it's just sort of, you know, Justin Turner with more glove plays for a while. That's the hope. So we will wrap up our prospect discussion with one of my favorite segments, and that is Our Guys. So I asked everyone to... I don't know if this is actually going to work. I asked everyone on the show to make a list of their of 10 guys from the system that they would delineate as their guys. Did everyone do that? <laughs> I, I, got a, I have a list of guys. I don't know if I'm really willing to say that they're my guys. Oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> as long as we have something to talk about. I just realized that mine's on my phone, which is over here. So I can actually pull that up. Um, does everyone have them in like a nice, neat order so we can just go round table, or are we just going to have to... I can read off my list. All right, I should have been more specific, I guess. So I will just start with my number 10. You guys can do whatever order you feel like. My number 10 was Kyle Johnson. And this is a weird one. I saw a lot of him last year, and I don't think he was one of those guys. I was like, eh, he could be a fifth outfielder. But I have a weird connection to Kyle Johnson, apparently. I was talking to a uh, a friend of mine who's uh, doing his MFA at UT Austin. And as part of his uh, teaching assistantship there, he had a, a student in class who was a who was in the Angel system and was going back to UT Austin in the off season to finish up his degree. And I guess at some point in class, it came out that oh yeah, he was a professional baseball player. And it somehow came out that he was really good friends with Kyle Johnson, who is now a Mets prospect. And my friend, who, who do I write wrote about Mets past? I asked me about him. I'm like oh yeah, I, I can tell you like these ten facts about Kyle Johnson. So through that weird, like, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, I now find myself rooting for Kyle Johnson. There you go. Because one of my friends teaches one of his friends. Greg, you can go next. Give us one of your guys. That's like the level of, of engagement we're talking about. We're talking about our guys, too, for 2015, I feel like. It's that kind of completely tenuous and nonsensical connection. Yeah, well, this is a guy I'm just I'm just rooting for, and I, I hope he puts it together. Um but Adderlin Rodriguez. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 Just because, you know, he's got, he's got like, from what I understand, 80 power, 
Yes. 80 arms. Yes. And let's just make it happen. Well, it's 20 everything. That's a great Jeff Moore report. It was two 80s and three 20s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't beat that. Um, I, I hope they got to send him to double A this year. And I just want to see him take BP. Um, in uh, New Hampshire and just like hit balls onto the best Western patio overlooking the sea. He might hit the best Western. I want to see him put one through the window of the best Western in BP. That is my one sincere hope for 2015 when it comes to the Mets organization. I don't care about guys taking steps forward. You know, I don't care about Getting meaningful major league performance. I just want to see Adeline Rodriguez put one off the best Western in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I will be a happy camper. All right, Steve, you go with one of your guys. Uh, I'll go with Matt. I feel like I've been on the Matt's bandwagon since it was, you know, since before there was a bandwagon. And, you know, it's nice to see him actually, you know, producing now. When he was drafted, I was like, all right, you know, he's a local kid. Interesting, you know. Thumbs up in my book. When he went down to Tommy John, people were down, rightfully down on him. I said, well, you know, he had decent, uh, a decent profile and good draft pedigree, so I was still high on him. When he came back on the mound finally, and then promptly uh, was shut down for the year, people were down on him. I said, well, you know, in this very small sample size of, of work, he had good numbers. I, was, I, I liked it. And, you know, now that he's finally on his way, you know, and exceeding expectations, it makes me very happy. And the fact that he is, you know, a top 100 prospect, top 50 prospect even, uh, makes makes watching him more exciting. My next guy is Jackson Ruiz, or Jackson Ruiz, or possibly Jason Ruiz. I'm still not entirely sure how it's pronounced, uh, so I've heard it multiple ways. Um, again, kind of a very tenuous connection here, but, uh, I saw him a bit in Savannah this past August. I saw him a bit in Kingsport in 2013, and he's like the definition of an org guy, and he was 23 in Savannah, um, and he's never really hit much, but he can play a lot of positions, he can fake shortstop. I mean, Savannah basically threw him out there at short pretty much full-time after Chikini uh, got promoted. And then he got bumped from the uh, playoff roster by Ahmed Rosario, which kind of sucks. But I just, I just something I had a whole like piece I was going to write about him at the end of last year, which kind of got buried. Because I fell behind on my Kingsport Savannah reports, but sort of like writing about how you evaluate, or how you how you write some guy, why and how you write some guy up as a as sort of like an org guy or a, a non prospect, and he kind of is, but I kind of I kind of like him. He's scrappy, and he he hit a ball out at a out of Historic Racing Stadium in game, which is more than I can say from Dionic Smith this year. So. No, it was total like just top spinned it directly down the uh, left field line, but it was still pretty funny. 
if I recall correctly, I think he did it off uh, Kyle Freeland, too, who's a pretty good Rockies prospect. And hit five home runs in Savannah, again, more than Dominic Smith. <laughs> Greg, who's your next guy? Uh, I'm going with um, LJ Mazzilli. Uh, just a guy who I... As of May 25th or so? <laughs> yeah, once he comes back. Uh, just a guy who's kind of hit decently well at every level. And uh, just kinda, I'm kind of rooting for him. And I think he's—I think he might be a little underrated uh, in, in prospect circles, and just kind of want to, you know, shine a light on him. And, and just, he's a guy who I think uh, could do well uh, this year once he comes back, of course. Steve, you're up. Um, I'm gonna go with Jace Boyd. Wow. Uh, Jace Boyd. <laughs> He's a guy that, you know, he's he doesn't fit the stereotypical first base profile. You know, That's the polite way of putting it, yes. Yes, you know, <laughs> slugging 414 last year in Binghamton. But, I mean, aside from the power part and the lingering questions about, you know, how his defense is going to play because of his shoulder surgery and whatever, I mean, he has a very good eye at the plate. And, you know, assuming some of those questions... Uh, answer themselves in a positive way, and maybe he adds a little bit of power. You know, it's not asking much; just just a little bit of power. He could, you know, I don't know if I'll ever go out to say that he could even be a, a second division starter at the, at the major league level. But he's a guy that, you know, like I said a lot earlier, is is a guy that I could tolerate watching at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> at Las Vegas. I guess that swings back around to me. And my number eight. This is bad. I went out of my notes to look at something else on my phone while I was doing this. Gabriel Giannis, who again I don't have much of a connection with. He was a 2014 draft pick. Pitched a little bit at the GCL. I saw like a 45 second YouTube video of, of him, and now I'm attached. So I'm hoping he ends up either. I mean, he probably will end up either Kingsport in Brooklyn. And I'll have more to say about him later on in the season. But until then, he's number eight on the list of my guys. Greg. I'm going with uh, Scarlin Reyes. Ooh. He's a guy who signed um, international free agent type guy. Um, but I'm still just living off of uh, a report that I heard that he's, he's got a upper 90s fastball. Yeah, that's not actually. I think that was thoroughly debunked with a broken... Uh, Stadium gone. Well, then... He's like, uh, he's like 93 to 95. Okay. Well, I'll Maybe there's more there. It's possible. Okay. I don't want to burst your bubble. kind of like the name. Fair and, enough. Uh, and I'm just going with like you know, obscure kind of buy low guys that I think could uh, you know, pop up this year. Steve? Um, I'll go with another easy pick and I'll go with Marcus Molina. I'm a, I'm a big fan of strange and quirky deliveries. That's one of the reasons why I first started, you know, watching Japanese baseball to begin with. He made my list. He made my list last year. I just felt like I couldn't really qualify him as a my guy this year for some reason. It just didn't feel right to me. 
I'm not trying to, you know, scoop other people, but I'm just saying that I, I like. You know, no, it's a, it, no, I, I'm not. I'm not uh, impugning you. This is a very. These kind of things are a very personal decision. Right. So. But he's like I said. I and even though it it pains me at the same time, I enjoy watching his delivery, <laughs> and I would like to see him, you know, succeed all the way to the major league level with it, and just prove all the doubters wrong. Next up, I have John Velasquez, who was the Mets uh, Mets minor league Rule Five pick in the 2013 offseason. Uh, pitch for Binghamton this year. He's bounced around, you know, Double A and indie ball. I assume that story usually, at some point in time, involves someone getting hurt. But he's got a funky delivery. He can get up to 95 or so. Has a slider. Um, but that's you know that describes 90% of the double A relievers you'll see. Uh, the funny thing about John Velasquez and why I'm rooting for him is I would see him pitch great, would mention it on Twitter, and then like I saw him a bunch last year because I saw Binghamton a fair amount, and then like every start, every appearance in between the times when I saw him, he would just get shelled, for, like a third of an inning, four runs. <laughs> and if you look at his like actual uh, uh, total numbers. From last year, they're not, you know, for a twenty-eight-year-old double A. Well, he's twenty-nine now, but for his twenty-eight-year-old double A reliever, you know, he didn't even strike out a batter in an inning. Posted a three-point-six-two uh, ERA at Binghamton. You know, hadn't been in organized ball since uh, two thousand ten. Prior to that, he was in the Philly system previously. Uh, much like Dario Alvarez. Uh, unlike Dario Alvarez, it may not pitch in the majors, but I'm still rooting for John Velasquez. Greg. Uh, John Mora. Ah, we've had multiple podcast questions about John Mora this year. Yeah, well, you know, he's a guy who made recapping GCL games tolerable for a time. <laughs> That's and... a totally valid reason for having him on a list of my guys. Or your guys, as the case were. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm rooting for him. Steve? Um, I'll go with John Gant next. Hey. He's He had solid numbers. Uh, like I was saying before with Molina, I, I enjoy Gant's delivery. Um, and it just, I wish him, I wish him well. <laughs> uh, no surprise to listeners of the podcast or readers of my stuff. My number six is Jimmy Duff, who is the other tall pitcher the Mets drafted last year, along with uh, Josh Prevo and Brad Wick. Uh, Duff was, I think, like a 20th round pick. Much further down the draft board than either of those two, but in a weird way. And I'm not saying he's going to have a better professional career than either of them in the minors, but I... I I like him again. Funky delivery, kind of weird drop and drive from a six foot six frame. Um, A nice little change up too. Um, And I'm actually, again, sort of hesitate to call him a my guy because Alex Nelson had him before me. Actually mentioned him on our draft recap show this past summer as a guy that might uh, start in the majors. So I can't 
really have him much higher than six for that reason, but he's making my list because I like, again, funky delivery, tall dude. Good changeup. Ticks all the boxes. Greg, who else you got? All right, so a guy I'm, I'm just excited to see play stateside this year is um, Ali Sanchez. Uh, the best receiver in the New York Mets organization per Wally Backman. Oh, well, there you go. That's even something uh, something else to be excited about. He's a young kid, um, puts up some decent strikeout walk numbers in the DCL last year, which means absolutely nothing, but... I'm just excited to see what he can do stateside. Steve, you're up next. Um, I'm going to go with Julian Hilario. Ooh. He's a guy that... I think it's year... actually Julian Hilario. Uh, Julian, excuse me. But he's a guy last year... You really that... should never take my word for those kind of things. <laughs> he's a guy last year that whenever I was either recapping him or if you know he was in a game... That I happen to be listening to, he would either be really, really good or really, really terrible. That is the Julian Hilario story. <laughs> yep. So I have a a connection with him. Either I'm very pleased with him, or he's 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 a very bad, bad person. It's always something to write about, certainly. Yep. Uh, my number five is Cesar Pueyo. Come at me. I'm ready. I still believe. Greg. Um, the aforementioned Brad Witt. Oh, okay. I I just like um, I like the profile. I just think he's raw. I think he's got some upside there and could be something could be something something worth watching. The thing about Weck and Provo, Prevo that always it's like it's something I knew like intuitively, but it sort of crystallized it for me. Is like every pre draft scouting report for a for a pitcher especially that you're not that's not going in like the first 50 75 picks or so whenever you see their fastball velocity listed at just subtract two miles an hour from it and that's what you'll see like everyone had prevo and wick at like 91 to 94 and it was like 89 to 92 just into it whatever the baseball america like little capsule says just subtract two miles an hour from it which I feel like is something I knew, but it's not, you know, he's tall. I think I liked his delivery a little more than Prevo. I think the breaking, I have to go back to my notes. I wrote about all three of the tall pitchers over the summer. Um, I liked his breaking ball a little more. It's not a bad pick. Steve, who else you got? Um, the next guy is going to be Casey Meisner. You have been very consistent. You've like tripled down on Casey Meisner yeah, now. I mean, he's his last couple of starts. Last year, you know, uh, sub two ERA. He had almost last couple of starts. You're coding ERA for last couple of starts. That's impressive. Seven starts. Okay, okay, that's that's better. Uh, thirty six, you know, thirty six point two innings. All right, that's fine. That's totally acceptable. It, it's small si- sample size, but decent. And you know, yeah, for short season bowl, but almost a four to one, you know, strikeout to walk ratio. And you know, he has a good draft pedigree. He has a decent fastball, and, you know, his size and filling out and everything, he could add a lot more to it. And he's a guy that I'm going to, you know, keep an eye on and be excited about over the course of the next year. So number four, I have a guy that I think I've only mentioned once on the podcast so far. I mean, this podcast. Obviously, 
a lot more in previous podcasts. That's Domingo Tapia. Like, look, I'm just not... Like, I'm not giving up. It's 97 miles an hour with run. Even if he has probably less idea of where it was going this year than he did last year. Um, as prep, I listened to some of our minor league podcasts, you know, prospects and minor league preview podcasts from last year just to remember what I said and see if there's anything good I can make a joke about. But I was really like, like Domingo Tapia is only going to make six starts in St. Lucie. He's going to move up real quickly and you know, none of that happened <laughs> i think this year definitely he's got to start in double a this year though right it's got to be a thing that happens i don't know no it was pretty bad last year it was pretty, yeah it was not good but again it's 97 from a frightening arm slot with ron it's going to break bats somewhere maybe just in high a for perpetuity but somewhere all right greg uh this one i'm going with brandon bosher Brochure. Um, brochure? I think it's brochure. Yeah, yeah well, I missed the R. Um, yeah, just, just uh, a guy I'm excited to see um, if, if that, that power profile can stick, um, as well as you know, sticking behind the plate. And, you know, if it does, you know, it's going to be something worth uh, being excited about. So just a guy I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I had him in my top 25. I might have been even a little more excited if... Just like broken leg for catching conversion project makes me nervous. Yeah. And the fact that he was DHing more than catching as part of this catching conversion process. I mean, I know yeah, it's a process. Yeah. It's only a couple of games. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But 80 raw power, according to Keith Law. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. Steve. I'm going to go with Dash Winningham. Yeah. Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> My. You can, but you can if you want to, or I can just keep going. Well, well, I'll just say, you know, he's had, you know, he's young. He's shown some decent power. He's shown a decent eye at the plate, and of course, he has, not you know, the name. So, my number three is uh, Warren Becerra. I think I'm tripling down there too, so we can just move on to Greg. And I'm going to double down on Danny Muno. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Just uh, he's. I, He's grown on me. I, I've recapped a lot of games with him involved and him doing things that I like, which is like namely drawing walks and getting on base. So sticking with it. Steve. Um, I'll mention Pueyo. You know, he's been mentioned, but next season is going to be a. You know, he's been mentioned a, a lot on this show. Yeah, I, I mean, next season is a make-or-break season. I was very high on him. You know, last well two years ago, I wanted to. Hope for the best last year, so we'll see. My number two is Luigi Orme, who is also my sleeper for this year. Um, you know, shortstop tools, they're nice. And it's its one of those weird profiles where I don't really know what it looks like in two or three years, but I'll probably be overly enthusiastic about whatever it is. <laughs> uh, Greg? My number two is also Cesar Pueyo. Yeah, we all. That's great. We all hit Playo. <laughs> Steve. Um. All right. Well, my next guy was gonna be Akio Morris. Yeah, not a surprise. <laughs> oh, you had him on your list, so I'd say it's fair enough that you can. Uh... Right. I mean, I think I'm a little higher than on him than you are. But yes. He made some mechanical adjustments, you know, over the off season last year, and they, you know, he cut down on his 
walk rate and he raised his strikeout rate. So we'll see if he can continue that. Which brings me to my number one, which is going to be the shock of the century on Amazing Avenue Audio. All caps breaking colon. My number one is Gabriel Yanoa. Huh. Hmm. Did not have seen that coming. No. Lucky shocker. As Billy Wagner would say. Greg. Um, my number one prospect is Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, am, you had him at number two, so. <laughs> I I have an affinity for Brandon Nimmo. I think he's going to be very good. Um, I just I just love me some Nimmo. <laughs> That leaves just you, Steve. Well, I I also had Nemo, so I don't want to repeat again. So I'm going to go with old tapes of Juan Urbina. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, I was sitting next to Toby at a Brooklyn game this year when Juan Urbina... I was literally leaving actually a little bit early. Um, I was almost all the way um, to the exit when I saw they were bringing in Juan Urbina. And I'm like, you know... I got to stick around for this. So I went down and I sat back down next to Toby. And we're watching a pitch. And I'm like, this look. And when I had him ranked highly, which was years ago at this point, but I had him as a top 20 prospect. And I had talked to the Chris Blessing and Mike Newman who saw him in Kingsport and swore to me that they saw him hitting 94 on the gun. Yeah. And by the time he got to Brooklyn, it was like you know 85 to 87. I'm watching him pitch and I'm like, this looks like a like a guy pitching with an undiagnosed shoulder injury. That's what it looked like. It was not attractive. I mean, there's also the fact that you know he was drafted as a projectable left-hander, and he never really grew into that frame at all. I was lucky enough to see him last year, and I think that I was the only person giving him standing ovation. <laughs> So. That is a definite. That's like that's a very fair number one. My guy then for you. I I feel like. <laughs> so that wraps up our prospect talk. Well, our official prospect talk for this episode. We'll now move on to your emails. Even though we've really already done a full show, uh, before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode one hundred and four. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast. Your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at Facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue U Audio and you listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-hosts this week are Greg Karam and Steve Sippa. You can find them on Twitter at Greg Karam and at Steve Sippa. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails, which we'll be covering more briefly than we usually do. Of course, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Our first email is from Ray. Ahoy, Jeff and Greg. John Stewart just announced he will be leaving The Daily Show. 
And a tweet by ESPN employee and Mets fan Mark Simon got me thinking about the phrase, comedy equals tragedy plus time. Mark's tweet notice, uh, noted that Jon Stewart opened his first show post-2006 NLCS by saying, paraphrase, you'll have to excuse me, but the Mets just ripped my heart out of my stomach. Is there another baseball team that could produce better comedians? I recognize it is more likely coincidence, small sample size, or correlation, Jews from the tri-state area, but can you imagine a comedian being a diehard Yankees fan? Uh, he's also included the small sample size song in the email, which I appreciate. Ray in DC. I will use this opportunity to, uh, I think someone posted this to our Slack group or maybe somewhere else that I saw that, uh, there would be a commenter that I guess went to a, a daily show taping and asked John Stewart about the Zach Wheeler trade right after it happened. And he started talking about it. It's like, you know, everybody else, no one cares about this except you and me. We're just boring everyone. But then he said, uh, everyone always asks me, like baseball people, if I hate the Yankees or Phillies more. And he's like, I'm a Mets fan. I hate the Mets more. (laughs) Which I think, I think it's, you know, it's a funny joke for starters, but I think it also sums up the Mets fan experience very, very well. But I think, as sort of Greg said at the outset, is, is it a? I don't think it's a coincidence that John Stewart, you know, Chris Rock, and Jerry Seinfeld are all Mets fans, or it's a coincidence their their particular style of comedy, like at least in broad strokes, you know, plays into sort of like exasperation as one of its main themes. You got to be in touch with your own, you know, self-loathing to be in that stand. Yeah, it takes a very special person. Like, I can't think of another team that would produce. I mean, I guess the Cubs. Uh, sure. Maybe Boston, possibly. Yeah, Jim was it? Um, Seth Meyers is a huge Red Sox fan, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I I will put you know Stewart. Seinfeld and uh, Chris Rock against just about any other team's yeah. stable of comedians, though. Yeah. You know, when it's not being incredibly obnoxious, which is 99% of the time, the other 1% of the time, Mets Twitter's pretty damn funny. Yeah, you say There's... so. <laughs> <laughs> You have to stay out of the dark depths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I curate fairly uh, religiously. So, Our next email is from Liam. Hello there, host and co-host. Hosts, in this case. I am back and I am more confused slash desperate as ever. Baseball's warm embrace is fast approaching as we muddle through this cold winter. The hot stove never was and snow is awful, truly awful. It snowed again today, not a lot, but it was just kind of annoying as I was driving into work. Now as I was warming myself by the fire I made out of Fernando Martinez rookie cards, <laughs> I happen to notice Dave Schoenfeld go completely off the deep end. I am quite concerned for his health and well-being. Jeffrey, can you please go to him and make sure he isn't running around without pants on, babbling nonsense? I admit sometimes I can be quite deluded when it comes to the Mets. But this is a psychosis. 
then Mark Simon must have been living in the same quarters because he starts adding the wars, adding up the wars, I believe is the, the proper uh, parlance there, for a 40-win season. Uh, that's 40 wars, not 40 wins for the team. It'll be roughly 87-ish wins. What is going on here? I'm desperate for a sense of hope in this season. But this is crazy. I'm actually hoping for things to break right for the Mets. But that is wishful thinking. And we're Flores with two wins at shortstop, really. But I digress. I do want to ask about the pitching of this team. It has been hailed as excellent, deep, talented. As I look over the past three years, it seems to show me that the Mets were either beneath or just with the middle of the pack. In fact, F-War had us last in pitching more and B-War was not close behind. Now I know war is not entirely indicative of performance and the team is already better not having Valverde, Farnsworth, Herman, or Lannon. But can we really expect that high of a jump in pitch? Are we that sad on Harvey's return to form and no signs of regression among any of the other pitchers? Maybe if we had added Shields or Scherzer, as reported first on this podcast, by the way, I could argue that point. In the current state, I feel like the Mets' 60th, 70th percentile win totals around 80 to 84. This is barring any Harvey magic. Sorry to ramble on, Liam. Um, so, yeah. Very optimistic. Yeah, I don't think Liam's wrong. Uh, specifically as far as, like, I think the Mets, the strength of the Mets pitching rotation is being overstated a little bit. Unless you're projecting, you know, steps forward for Zach Wheeler. And, like, you know, healthy 2013 Matt Harvey. It's definitely a little bit overrated, especially in the back end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even if Harvey is close to Matt motherfucking Harvey and Jacob deGrom is as good as he was last year. You know, Zach Wheeler's been an average major league starter, basically. John Neese, in his good years, has been an average major league starter. Bartolo Colon is 42, I think. Yeah. 43? He's 42. That's not, you know... And yes, they have Syndergaard and Mats in, in the wings, which is not nothing. I know a, a topic of conversation has been around. So yeah, maybe Fangraph's war isn't adjusting for the changes at City Field park factor-wise quickly enough. They were still dead last. <laughs> they haven't changed the... You know, the park factor hasn't changed that much over the last few years. Even it's well, not it quite has, catching up to where it is now. No, I mean... I don't think that boy does a good job of... of well, the, that, there's that issue, too, which is yeah. also... Uh, not... Uh, insignificant in, in the course of this conversation, but you know, I like I like my B War. Yeah, and and, and, and B War didn't. I mean, look at the 2014 team. Yeah, you've got. I should be scrolling faster. <laughs> so Jacob Degrom, really good, three wins in 140 innings. That's great. More of that would be awesome. You know, John Neese, basically, you know, league average starter. Almost dead on by uh, run average per nine. You know, 3.84 versus 3.85, which is the, again, what you would have expected a 
league average pitcher to do against those opponents in those parks in front of the Mets defense in 2014. As the possible baseball reference is a park factor is still, you know, using slightly old data with the old walls or whatever. Yes, but that covers half his starts. Is it really that significant? We're probably talking about, you know, hundreds of a point of ERA. After that, Zach Wheeler, not so good. You know, part of that is he gave a lot of earned, unearned runs last year, but can adjust for that with the defense that was in front of him. The Mets defense last year generally was pretty good. You know, Dylan G, 137 innings, 0.7 war. Bartolo Colon, 200 innings, 0.5 war. Now, with like someone like Cologne, do you want to wash some of that out? Because they, you know, Terry Collins left him in several starts to wear it longer than he might have otherwise. Yes, but he wore it. He got shelled when he was not going good. Well, that kind of stuff matters. And yes, there's not very good starts by Dice K and, and Mejia that won't be made by Dice K and Mejia this year. Um, but you know, that's not. Even with Matt Harvey coming back as like a all-star level pitcher, that's not an elite pitching staff. This isn't the Washington Nationals. This isn't the Dodgers. It's not... Is it a good rotation? Is it going to be above average this year? Yeah, I think so, but... You know, Vegas put their over under at 81.5 wins, and, and I might take the over, but I'm not confident about it. I think the downside here is a lot... Uh, lower than the upside is high. Anyone want to jump in? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 I covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think the upside, there's there's good upside there because of the, the talent that they have in the farm, but I agree that there's some significant downside risk to this rotation, and I'm not really willing to get up in arms if anyone calls it, you know, if it's like the 10th best system in, in baseball, um, rotation in baseball, I'm not going to argue with it too much. Yeah, and that's, I think that's, I, yeah, I saw there were some top five rankings, which I think is just, yeah, the, I mean, it could happen. I mean, the whole tenor of conversation around the 2015 Mets is, it could happen. <laughs> Wilmer Flores could be a two-win shortstop. He might hit enough. Your Matt Harvey could come back. He's 18 months from Tommy John surgery and be really good. It could happen. Zach Wheeler could take a step forward. It could happen. The problem is, for them to be serious competitors, things like that need to happen. For the Nationals to make the playoffs, just try not to have like a staff infection go through the entire locker room like happened in Tampa Bay or whatever. Yeah. Or like I guess it's an issue in hockey now too. Yeah, don't get the mumps. No, yeah, don't get the mumps. <laughs> Our next email is from Michael. Along the same lines. Hello gents, why is the Nationals roster regarded to be in a different stratosphere in comparison to the Mets roster? I'm comparing the two, where are the positions on the Nets roster where they have Nats roster where they have a clear cut advantage? Lineups are very comparable. Two 36-year-old injury-prone outfielders. Who's 36 on that one? Worth? Isn't that old? Oh, Jesus. Two injury-prone young offensive catchers. 
They have a better shortstop. We have a better first baseman. Rendon is great, but Wright isn't exactly a slouch with his six all-star appearances. Anthony Rendon is really fucking good. The rotation is in their favor, but, but both are probably top five in baseball. Mm. On any given night, either team's pitcher could win. That is true. That's why they play the games. The only significant advantages I see are the Mets bullpen and minor league depth, especially in the upper levels. The Mets could have seven or more minor, league con- minor leaguers contribute in a big way in 2015. The Nats have A.J. Cole, Michael Taylor, and who again? The big X factor is Bryce Harper, I know, but unless we're including Geico or Gatorade commercials, you only have his baseball card as a data point in three seasons, the 270 hitter with 17 to 20 home runs who gets hurt a lot. How come everyone is allowed to project him to be great, but not a guy like Flores who only hit 160 RBIs and 600 AAA plate appearances? Curious for your thoughts, Mike. Uh, I think Bryce Harper is still younger than Wilmer Flores. <laughs> Um, uh, here's the thing. I, you can't really just go down the rosters and say, and just say, check, somebody's better than somebody else. You have to really look like Ian Desmond is better than Wilmer Flores. Yes. Ian Desmond is significantly better than Wilmer Flores. Yeah. And uh, you know what? You can go through the rotation too. And uh, I think in every spot in the rotation, they might have a better starter. It's not just like, it's a little bit better. It's significantly better. Um, it, you know, it's tough for them to make up that ground just because, you know, Lucas Duda might be better than Ryan Zimmerman. And Daniel Murphy might be better whoever they're, than whoever they're going to play at second base. Which I guess is going to be Yunel Escobar. And he's not going to be that much better than Yunel Escobar. Yeah. Um, and again, as I said before on the show, 162 games of baseball can wipe out the Nationals' advantage. Weird things can happen. There can be mumps outbreaks. Um, but going into the season, I, I think the Nationals have to be the clear-cut favorites here. By a lot, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that bullpen could go pear-shaped for the Nats. It could happen. <laughs> I mean, I like Tyler. Tyler Clippert, I feel like, just came in and killed the Mets the last couple of years. You know, they shipped him off. They lost Rafael Soriano. It's, you know, maybe. You know, Bryce Harper is a generational talent. Now, he might not get there because, you know, the injuries and some guys don't get there. But I think... I could look this up. I mean, you know, Bryce Harper was in the majors. I'm going to guess Omar Flores was in Savannah. Let's see. Probably. Harper came up two years ago or three years ago? 2012. So he was, ni- he was the age 19 season. Actually, their birthdays are fairly close in date, too. So this will work out well. Yeah, Flores was in... Uh, St. Lucie for the second time and he hit 269, 309, 380 in St. Lucie as a 19 year old Bryce Harper was holding his own against Major League Pitching he's no Mike Trout that's all I'll say that's fine but he's probably (laughs) got a little more projection left than one more Flores 
Can you play shortstop? Bryce Harper? Yeah. I want to maybe better than Wilmer Flores. (laughs) He caught. That's true. In in JUCO. Yep. Hey, guys. My question kind of involves prospects, but mostly involves Sandy. Jeff, you said many times the Mets have a two-year window to contend between Kadaya, Grandy, and Wright. I think you're thinking of Kevin Kernan, Phil. I agree with that, and it's also me. I did it first. But you have to realize the position Sandy and his team put the Mets in. He semi-rebuilt and put together a team that has an honest shot at the playoffs in the next two years, and at the same time, he didn't jeopardize the Mets' future for it. When that two-year window closes, they don't make the playoffs, and that time they will have an influx of real talent come up through the minors. I'm sure if it was up to Sandy, he would have completely rebuilt the team, but it's a New York team, and New York fans are impatient. You have to admire the job he did by not compromising the future, yet putting the Mets in a position, position to contend. Yeah, this email is long, but you haven't heard from me in a while. So thanks, Phil. This isn't really that long. It's the longest email I read on the podcast. Um, so yes. So here's the thing about when I talk about windows of contention. And this is a good way to really kind of book and our prospect conversation. And we started out talking about the sort of the strength of the Mets system being in the depth, but not really having guys that were impact talent. Um, they have a lot of money tied up in those three players. And, you know, while Kadair and Granderson come off the books soon, they're going to have to replace those players. You know, right, they're going to have to keep paying when he's not a superstar anymore. And who knows how soon... Now, that might be. You, know, you don't replace David Wright internally. You don't replace replace peak David Wright. Again, a generational type of prospect. Um, and that's tough to do. There's a reason that all these sort of, you know, the Mets, you know, when Mark Simon's finding his 40 wins above replacement, a lot of those are in David Wright being David Wright again. You know, that's sort of the the table stakes. That's the ante for the Mets being good this year. David Wright has to be closer to two thousand at least two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen David Wright than two thousand fourteen David Wright. You know, if not the you know, peak two thousand five, two thousand eight David Wright. Not that any of us are gonna turn that down. You know, there's only so many holes you can fill internally for any team no matter how good your system is because some of these guys you know as 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 deep as the system goes and potential major league regulars some of these guys aren't going to be major league regulars they're just not going to get there it's the way it goes and well yes maybe the the kadire and granderson money coming off the books gives you a little more financial flexibility as the mets like to say every possible opportunity you know at that point it's not just that those guys are getting old or you know no longer under contract everybody else is getting expensive we had the first wave of arbitration raises this year it's only going to get way worse in coming seasons because all of that young talent you know is starting to establish themselves starting to reach arbitration guys like matt harvey gonna start getting five ten million dollars you know, Zach Wheeler, the same. Jacob DeGrom, the same. You know, Lucas Duda's getting raises. Henry Mejia's getting raises. You know, by themselves, they're not significant. But, you know, taken as a whole 25-man roster, those raises start to eat up whatever contracts are coming off the books. And if they don't get more 
money to spend. You know, there's nowhere to replace those guys other than internally. So, you know, Brandon Nimmo has to be a major league regular and a pretty good one. You know, same for some of those arms. Same for, you know, Dilson Herrera replacing Daniel Murphy. You know, he's got to be as good as Murphy or else his team goes backwards. Well, look, all I'll say is that if, if, if we've, you know, slogged through a few years of pretty miserable baseball for just a two-year window, uh, um, I'm not going to be giving Sandy Alderson any credit at all. You know, well, look, it's, it's not, he's done a good job rebuilding the system from where it was in 2011. He's done a good job rebuilding the minor league system, right. which which we both know counts for diddly squat. Yes. Um, <laughs> Major league wins are how general managers are evaluated. Yeah. Does a good minor league system help in that regard? Yes, certainly. In a, it, and it can in a variety of ways. But major league wins are how Alderson's going to be evaluated eventually. This is a crucial year for his, uh, how people are going to think about Sandy Alderson. He's got a book coming out about him where he's like the greatest GM ever. Which I said I wasn't going to mention again on the podcast the first time, which was a total disaster. So I won't. And instead, I will just wrap up your emails by saying, once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And before we go, in, in the spirit of, I got a few things to plug. In the spirit of Up and In, which, as I've said before, is a, a formative influence on this podcast, we have a This Just Happened. So This Just Happened. I'm going to be on the MLB Network tomorrow. <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. I really can't. Um, so, yeah, MLB Now. This, will, this podcast will go up late Tuesday night. So Wednesday afternoon, I guess it starts at 2. I'm apparently going on around 2.30. You'll see uh, my disembodied headshot talking about Mets prospects on MLB Now. So this is good practice for that. I'll have to not use as much profanity. <laughs> Make sure you hype up Akil Morris for me. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be high on my list of things to do. And, and, and Matt Bowman, of course. And Matt Bowman, of course, yeah. Well, you'll have to get in a Gabby, uh, you know, a plug. That is definitely my plan. Uh, Chris McShane has already tweeted out a drinking game for my appearance. Um, okay, so, uh, so, so DVR that and then watch it later in the night when it's more acceptable to be drinking. Or just drink it too. <laughs> um, so yeah, one sip for any time I say scouting the stat line. Mm-hmm. Two sips for a Pueyo mention. Three sips for a Yanoa mention. And you finish a drink if I mention Mejia's hair. Oh, uh, that's a big must. Yes, I also added uh, take a shot if I manage to get a Sheffield Wednesday reference in. Which I haven't figured out how I'm going to do yet. But I may make an attempt. Don't want to get greedy on your first shot. No, no, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's not good. Um, given how much notice I got for this, I just want to thank whoever canceled the last minute. But look, I'm just happy to be on a list somewhere. Where people will call me if they need to talk about Mets prospects. I'm very happy with that being my lot in life. Yeah. I'm sure Eric will somehow get the video up at Amazing Avenue at some point, too. 
which will be great, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. I, uh, Credibility to amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, hopefully. I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my brain <my> ruined <laughs> me. I'm also going to uh, plug something for my wife, who was nice enough to take last minute headshots of me for this appearance. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't. I try not to advertise anything on this show. Um, every time there is an ad attached to the show, it destroys the iTunes RSS feed. So <laughs> that's part of the reason I'm a little, a little skittish about ads in general, but I will, I am going to put in a plug for my, my wife's, uh, concert series. She has a, a women's composers festival of Connecticut and they're doing a, an Indiegogo this year. So you can check that out. I'll put a, a, a link up to it when the podcast post goes up, or you can just go to Indiegogo and search for women's composers festival. Um, if you are so inclined to donate to to this very uh, important to me, obviously new music group, I would appreciate it. So check that out. And uh, if if the spirit moves you, you want to donate, that's great. I think that's it. All right. I thought I had a third thing, but the show's gone on long enough. No, we're not going to do that. Fast Lane is this weekend, and I guess I'm going to watch it, but that's my extent of thoughts on the matter. Yeah. So there you have it. Two hours of podcast. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, indeed. Um, so we're getting close. You know, Pitchers Catchers Report this weekend. We have our spring training preview next week with our spring training correspondent, Chris McShane. We're going to start rolling out the position by position previews we'll have our nl east previews soon baseball's back motherfuckers just about it's here and we'll be covering that and second division soccer and whatever new bourbons i find for another year on amazing avenue audio